series in 2 Corinthians. We do this every year. We kind of call it Vision Sunday, where we reflect on where we've been and where the elders and pastors feel like God is, God is leading us. An immediate question you might have is, what up with the rocks? Okay, those are rocks. We're in the Old Testament. You know what I'm saying? Like Old Testament discipline style? Okay. No? Okay. Anyway, that's where we, that's where we are. Guys, let me tell you this story, and I mentioned this in the Four Oaks Weekly this week. When I was in seminary, I took a pastoral counseling class um, where, because basically before they unleash you to counsel messed up people, they want you to know how messed up you really are, okay? And believe me, there's a lot there. And so, so as a part of this process, they have you construct what's called a genogram, okay? Not to be confused with the riveting family game called Jenga, okay? Totally different thing, okay? But a genogram is basically a physical representation of your family history and lineage, okay? Now, now it's not just like an ancestral tree of all your long-lost country cousins, which apparently we have many um, barefooted in the hills of, of East Tennessee, but it, it's much more than that. It's really actually a tool to utilize and to identify family relational patterns, um, um, problems, issues, strengths, and the goal in constructing the genogram is to really just make you more self-aware about who you are, where you come from, not to dwell in it, not to live in it, but to help you develop healthier patterns of relating in the future. Now, a couple of things really stood out as I journeyed down this path of ancestral enlightenment. Okay, first, I had family members far and wide across the fruited plain fill these things out, okay? And apparently, they are much more comfortable writing things down about the family than they are actually saying them. And so as I'm, for, as I'm reading these questionnaires, I'm realizing, you know, we are not going to be doing a genogram debrief at Thanksgiving this year. That's not going to be happening, okay? But secondly, and most importantly, that despite all the, shall we say, issues, okay, that were uncovered in that family exploration, and which undoubtedly would be in yours and mine and, and all of us, one theme was strikingly clear. One thing was strikingly clear. Out of all of this mess, okay, God, you have been amazingly faithful. God, you have just been, I mean, to bring spiritual life out of humanity, sinful humanity. I mean, it's an amazing thing. I mean, I, I just sat there and looked at, looked at my dad's line. You know, my dad, none of these are exaggerations, or only maybe slightly, okay? But no, no, they're true. Live, living on a mountain, in a shack, one step above deliverance and banjos, okay, just one step above, okay, has an outhouse, shoots squirrels for food, okay, hitchhiking to work as a teenager, a hard life, and then just seeing God miraculously, sovereignly save him so that he's the one Christian in my family for a season growing up, um, for an extended season, and just, just seeing how God's faithfulness, God's will, God's way prevails. You know, I believe when we boil it right down to its essence, the 26 years of Four Oaks can really be summed up in that way. In the way Kent Hamilton says it, where's my friend Kent Hamilton? Where are you, Kent? Okay. Kent always says, you know, in the end, God wins. God wins. 
God gets His way. And I believe that, that, that when I reflect on these 26 years, one of the things that God has given us by His grace is a unique capacity as a church family to trust in His goodness and to walk in faith. Because we know He's got this. We know that he is faithful, that he is in control, that he is going to have his way. And so today, we're going to take a quick peek at the Four Oaks genogram, okay, to point, to to help us understand where we've been, to point us forward to where we think God is leading us, and we're going to use Joshua 4 as a launching off point, because before the Israelites launch into the promised land. Remember, they've been wandering around for 40 years. They've seen a generation come and go. They have begun to wonder, is God faithful? Is he good? Where is he leading us? What is going to happen? And here they are on the banks of the Jordan, looking out over the promised land, and God says, before you go, before you go, I want you to do something. Okay? And, and they have to construct their own genogram. Not just to help them remember, but to help them to know where God wants them to go and what he wants them to do. And that's what we're going to do today. Okay, Joshua chapter 1, we're going to read the first 10 verses, then skip down to verse 19. All of this will be flashed up on the screen for you. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe of man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. Now listen, this is the crucial part. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and they laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Let's skip down. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel pass over the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you pass over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we pass over, so that, important, so that, all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty 
and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Because one of my favorite hymns, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Josh, why did we do that this morning? I didn't tell him about it. I just, I just, I just occurred to me. So what, one of my, Josh knows I'm kidding. So one of my favorite lines, here I raise my what? Ebenezer. And we're like, is that like grandpa? What, what, what is this? Okay, what, you know. That comes, if, you, if we read this passage in the King James Version, it, it calls these 12 stones an Ebenezer, which just basically means memorial, something that, that you set amongst yourselves to remember something significant. And so, so God says, Israel, before you go over, I want you to set up okay, this Ebenezer or these 12 stones for two reasons. Okay? Now, this is, this is important because it wasn't just about remembering. Because when we, we rehearse some of our history this morning, it's not just about remembering. Okay? He says, and look, 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 look back down to verse 22. It says, When your children ask you what do these stones mean, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. So the Lord dried up the waters. He passed, he passed over the Red Sea. So that's part of, this is remembrance. Okay? Look at those stones. You remember God's faithfulness, God's grace, God's mercy. But, okay, that's not all they're supposed to do. That in itself, remembering, serves a larger purpose. And look down at verse 24. So that, okay, so set these, set these stones up. People remember, think about God's faithfulness. To what ends? To what ends? So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. See, the purpose of the stones was not that the Israelites would live life around the stones, that they would stay on the banks of the Jordan, that they would think about the good old days in the wilderness. Isn't that funny? We always, <laughs> the good old days in the wilderness. No. Not, as Josh said in the, in the worship, not to go back to Egypt. Okay? They were given to them so that the Israelites would remember, why are we here? We're here to go into the promised land. We're here to spread the name and the fame of the living God. Okay? We are here to make him known. We are here to help establish his kingdom and dominion. He's brought us here so that we can go, so that we can do the mission for which he has called us. You know, there's all sorts of problems happen in organizations and churches when we fixate okay, on the past in an unhealthy way. So a lot of you are probably familiar with the Jerry Sandusky, Joe Paterno scandal at Penn State and all the charges of abuse and cover-up. And in the middle of this, the, the university is trying to move forward. They're trying to address these problems. They're trying to keep on mission. They're trying to move forward into the future. But yeah, what, what, was one, what, was the, what was one of the flashpoints that caused so much controversy and so much argument? What was it? They fought over a what? A statue. A statue. You see, there were, there were people who were much more concerned about the legacy of a man and how he would 
be perceived and how we were to honor him. And it became all about this shrine and this memorial. And God says, that's, that's not why I've given it to you. I've given it to you to remind you why you were made, why you were created, where I'm calling you to go. Move off the banks of the Jordan, Israel. Okay? Don't build a city here. Don't worship these stones. Don't idolize them. See, this is where churches can get stuck too. You know, if, if our, you know, the scriptures are clear. The scriptures call us to, to contend for the gospel, to defend the gospel, protect truth. That is, that, that's exactly right. But a lot of times what happens when a church fo- focuses exclusively on those things, preserve, contend, defend, which we must do, it really becomes all about the past. And there's a protective measure, and you get yourself in a corner with your dukes up, and God says, no, 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 no. Not just protect and defend and contend, but to seek and to move forward and to save and to be on mission and to reach out. And so the former path ultimately, and sometimes it takes a generation, sometimes two, always leads to spiritual death always does. God says, that's not what I desire for you and for Oaks. I don't believe that's what God desires for us. And so here's what we're going to spend our next few minutes doing, okay? We just want to take a few minutes and revisit some of the significant markers in our 26 years as a church. This is not a history class, okay? If you hear me saying Bueller, Bueller over and over again, okay, then just throw something at me, okay? Or if you're drooling on your dad, whatever, okay? That's not, that's not the point, okay? We want to just mention, I want to mention four things that I think will be a platform for us to not only remember the grace of God, but to clarify our vision of what he wants us to do going forward, okay? There, I, I'm looking out over the crowd now, and I'm seeing people who've been here 26 years, okay? It probably feels like 50 years for you, but you've been here 26 years, looking at the stewards, and I'm looking at the Dudleys, and I'm going to miss people, but I'm just people that are sort of leap out at me who have been here over the long haul. These are just four that I mentioned. There's many Ebenezers, but here's four that I think are particularly significant. And one is just the founding of this church. Guys, we forget. I mean, we take so much for granted. We get in our car, and we drive over here, and we have worship, and we have preaching, and we have fellowship, Guys, it is a miracle, I mean, supernaturally a miracle, when a church is built and people are saved. I mean, there is an 80% failure rate for church plants, and for good reason. But when John Kaiser came to Tallahassee in 1989, he did not have a big core group. He was not bankrolled, okay? He did not have a pastor of branding, okay? He, that, that is a position. Scott occupies it for us. No, 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 okay, no, but, you know. <laughs> He did not have any of the bells and whistles, okay? What did they have? They had a Bible, and they had an apartment, and they opened that Bible, and they taught God's Word, and they trusted God's Word and the Gospel to only do what God's Word and the Gospel could do. And when I think about the, the, in, one of the endearing pieces of DNA that continues to live with us, that we need to thank the Lord for, is that, is that 
we believe as a church that we ultimately stand or fall upon the Word of God. It doesn't mean we, need to, we don't need to be creative. It doesn't mean that we don't need to um, strategize or be wise or winsome or all those sorts of things. But fundamentally, it is, and it's hard to remember this because the longer, you've heard me say this before, the longer you're a Christian, the harder it is to remember what it was like to be a non-Christian. The older a church gets, the, 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 the more tempting it is to, to, to sort of settle in on the banks of the Jordan and enjoy the good life. And we just want to, to stop and remember, wow, there were a people that laid it on the line and that labored faithfully and, and, and trusted God's Word to do what only God's Word could do. And it was a spiritual miracle Guys, don't you want to continue to see supernatural saving of lives right now? I do. Second thing that came to my mind, second, second sort of marker, Ebenezer, was when John, who's the founding pastor, left in 1999. And remember, John was not just the senior leader, he was the founding pastor. And because the church was, was much smaller then, those kinds of leadership changes can have really strong reverberations. That can be felt in an inordinate way versus when a church is much larger. What did God do for us that season? And this is a second piece of DNA that I think continues to infuse who we are as a church body today. We kind of went, I would liken it this way, to a sole proprietorship, mom-and-pop storefront to an organism, to a plurality of leadership. This was a time when our lay elders, okay, transitioned from being kind of playing a supportive secondary role to the mission of the church to being the heart of the church. There was one pastor on staff that transitional year. That was me. I was working with middle school students playing games called eat that thing okay that, that, that's what i was doing okay and we're all looking around going what who's gonna lead this thing well the elders are gonna lead this thing guys we had that season elders actually preaching okay do, do you remember this okay elders were preaching and they and they obeyed the cardinal rule of preaching what is that better to be Bad and short than bad and long, okay? But they were actually good and short, okay? Jeff Maine was particularly short, okay? If you mention that, they just mentioned that to him sometimes. Because that's an incredibly endearing piece of our history that, that the church is not about one person. Church is about, the church isn't even ours. The church belongs to God. And what an awesome thing he did in that season. A, a third thing I thought of, you know, for a long time, we were a mobile church, and it seemed like that we would be mobile until the Lord returned, okay? So, we, I mean, I just started listening. Gilchrist, Plaza 10, CCS, the Tupperware Warehouse. Now, we did take the Tupperware out before we, did, before we met there, but barely. Child's High School, you know, and, and it seemed for about 10 years that God deliberately said, I'm going to foil every attempt you have to get into a permanent home. And when I say God intentionally did I, I mean, I think I, God intentionally did that. I, I mean, I could just, the litany. I mean, a lot of you who were here and lived through this. Going through a capital campaign 
and then having to go into that public meeting and say, you know that piece of property we purchased and we've already shoveled several hundred thousand dollars into, um, that piece of property, well, there's a deed restriction on that property and there's a loss, anyway, you can't build on it. And we're just sitting there like, what in the world, God, what do you want us to do? And so it was during those seasons that, that we had to look back here to, this is a physical little Ebenezer. Back in 2003, people in the church said, I want to give a lead gift, financially sacrificial gift, so that we can find a church home. And I'm sitting up, and, and they wrote promises of God on it. And not like, I'm looking forward to the new building, but like enduring promises, because buildings come and go. Okay? And I'm just looking up here, and there's, there's the wind. Ed, you're over there. there. There's the winds right there, and the Carrios, and the Christmas family, and the Pacettis. Did I see the Pacettis back here? You want me to read what y'all wrote? No, I won't do it. Um, you know, I'm just looking at all this, and this is just a little representative sample. It would have been like Miracle on 34th Street with all the Christmas letters if we you know, dumped them up here. I'm, I'm just, I'm absolutely amazed that God has brought us to this place but he couldn't do it until he imprinted something upon us, and we all need to get this, okay? And you've heard it, and it sounds so cliche-ish, but it's biblical, okay? The church is not a building. It's just not. We love to memorialize church buildings. They're what we build on the banks of the Jordan. We look back upon them. We endear ourselves to them. But guys, this is all going up in smoke one day. We all understand this, right? Okay? Hopefully not before the end of this service, right, John? Okay, so, but the church is its people. What a legacy from that time in our journey. Because, and I kid you not, this, this is what happened. This building was not on the market. We made an offer at the very peak of the real estate market, okay? And I kid you not, within about three months, all of these things happened, okay? We purchased the building. The real estate bubble collapsed, Okay, it popped. Um, the stock market crashed, and we launched a capital campaign. It was joyous, okay? And in the midst of that, that God would see fit to, again, this is a common theme, that the purpose people were empowered to excel in the grace of giving, raise $3 million, okay? And it's always, it's always humbling, right, to remember that you are worshiping in the cereal aisle right now. Okay, you are. But that's just the way God has worked in our history. He's always had his way. He's always showed up. He's always communicated. It's not about you. In fact, most of the time it's in spite of you. But it's, it's about me. It's about my glory and my name. Last thing I, th- I think about before we talk about the future you know, when we moved into this building and began to experience real growth and vibrancy and momentum and casting a vision for launching another campus, and we went through our second major leadership transition, and it just felt like somebody had yanked the cord on the subway, right? Everything sort of came to a screeching halt. And, and I'm not going to unpack all that right now. I'm glad to answer any questions or talk about it and that, that's fine. The point was that that was an incredibly difficult, incredibly painful leadership transition. 
And everything about church just seemed to hit pause. Momentum and energy and mission. Yet, there was something in that that God says, I have for you. And and there's many things, but here's, here's just one or two. I think that the seeds that God had sown 15 years previous with our elders, that they were a biblically qualified group of men, fundamentally said, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what public perception is. It doesn't matter about spin or manipulation or any of that. We are just going to let the word of God guide us through this season. We're going to follow his word. We're going to be obedient to it. We're going to be appropriately transparent. We're going to communicate clearly. And we're going to let the chips fall where they may. Folks, indebted to our elders, they're my elders too, biblical fidelity, that there is a trust that, that, that I think God uses to cover this place to know. There, there's men who, who they want to know what you think, but it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is what does God think? And so here we are in 2016, and and we told you back at the beginning of the school year, no no more change for a while. Remember that? (laughs) We're like, we need to rest. I mean, there was already, I mean, a lifetime of change in three years. Launching a second campus, moving towards sort of a more of a a team model of ministry, pulling out of one denomination, getting into a network, changing our statement of faith. What were we thinking, Josh? That was, okay. That was all Josh's idea, by the way, so take that up with him. But you know, guys, I'm looking around, and this is not the, like the, the, the pastoral mojo thing, or like, oh, I'm speaking a word, and it's coming to be, none of that, okay? Guys, God's doing a grace, work of grace here. I think by God's grace, we're reestablishing our footprint, and there's stability, and there's some momentum, and things have stabilized financially, and Midtown is going gangbusters, and we're starting to get growth and visitors and guests here again at Killarne. You know, we're, we're supporting 13 church plants. We've got the best student ministries in the city. And my, don't record that. Okay, hit pause. Okay, whatever. Okay. But you know, there would be a really strong temptation, I think. I feel it. Guys, it would just be so much easier to stay on the banks of the Jordan. And guys, don't get me wrong. Being on the banks of the Jordan is a good thing, okay, for a season, like the Israelites. You need to come, you need to erect your memorial, your Ebenezer, remember, give thanks, praise God, be thankful for the stability, be thankful for the time in the wilderness, but that you're not there anymore, but, but, so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. See, it's not just about us. If it was just about us, we would lock arms, face inward, make it about us. We'd live, I don't know, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. But ultimately, the vision would die, and we would simply become another shrine. And God says, that's not what I have for you. That's not what I have for you. So as the elders and the pastors retreated last weekend and really began to 
to stir ourselves again before the Lord. God, where are you calling us to in the coming days? I want to mention three things that I think impact us right now, okay? So this is not pie in the sky, somebody's, somebody's dream. This is three things we think right now God is doing. And then I do want to mention three things that we are trusting God for. Now understand, what does James tell us? James says, don't be haughty. Don't say this day and that day, I will go and do this and I will do this thing. He says, you say if the Lord wills, okay? Which just basically means we'll be using lots of whiteout on this address, okay, in the coming days. There's a few things, though, I think we can hang our head on. Number one, because we think that one of the things that you lose when you move away from a traditional church calendar, do you know what I mean by that? Like when the doors open, you're expected to be here. And I mean all the time, like Wednesday night, Sunday night, Sunday morning, prayer meeting, Bible study, all that. And we do that intentionally, okay? We go to simple church, fellowship group, worship. But yet, okay, if this is the only time in your week that you are under the word, okay, that's probably not real biblically, spiritually enriching, where are other venues that you study the Word of God? And a lot of you are in men's studies and women's studies and fellowship groups. That's wonderful. But we feel compelled, and we saw this when we did the pastor classes last spring, where your pastors were teaching through statement of, the statement of faith and explaining issues, that we need to be available as pastors and elders to do more public teaching and in regular teaching. And, and we don't know exactly what that looks like, um, but we want to launch out that equip pastors a class, whether it meets on a, on a weekday night or a morning. or we, We're still sorting that out. But we feel really compelled that we need to be doing that regularly, okay, and making that available to you. Just good old-fashioned Bible study. Good old-fashioned systematic theology. Doesn't that sound exciting, Josh, systematic theology? I'm jazzed about some systematic theology. That's one thing we want to do. Second thing immediately is in a, this, this relates to local community outreach. Guys, in a growingly secularized culture, it's increasingly important for the church, just as it was the New Testament church, that word and deed go together. Okay? Gone are the days okay, that you can just sort of show up in people's lives and tell them the gospel and expect that gospel to penetrate people's hearts. God can do it. He does it. That's not what we're saying. But in an increasingly secular culture that is very suspicious of the church, very suspicious of, of any sort of, of, of hierarchy, church, authority, words of um, deeds and, and of, of service are increasingly significant. Because we are really seeing inroads into that, into this whole issue of life, in our community. You've heard me speak about this last couple of weeks. God seems to be doing something, stirring us with the issue of life, of, of coming alongside women who are in crisis pregnancies, counseling them. But not just that, sharing the gospel with them, sharing the gospel with their partners. And when women are having their children, continuing to walk alongside of them. And so the, the formation of this ministry by the Lafitte's Titus Homes, where we invite, where, where, where fellowship groups may be, maybe your family adopts one of these single moms, and bring them into your home and counsel them and teach them and, and give them skills, and, and, but mainly give them hope, give them the gospel. As John and Margaret Stewart of the church have done this with a couple, 
and they will tell you, this is hard, this is messy, okay? This is difficult. But guys, this is, this is the good stuff. This is the good stuff. We think God's doing a work there that we want to continue to call you to be a part of. A third thing. It's been our dream, and, and, and it's, it's been a dream that's been like, the bubble's been burst several times. Our, our, our vision has been, we want to make the Four Oaks Center a third place. Not just a place where we worship and that businesses do retail, but a place that people want to go. A place that people want to hang out. A place that we can rub shoulders, so to speak. And so you've heard of all the, um, the dreams we've had that for one reason or the other, God was like, nope, nope, nope. So talked about the YMCA, didn't happen. Talked about Red Eye Coffee Shop, didn't happen, okay? And what I'm about to say, let me just say, may not happen, right? Okay, no, but we think, okay, we actually have a letter of intent, okay? And so go ahead and flash the, 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 the um, M on the screen. We, we, we've, been, we've been, yeah, so, yes, okay? They, okay. Heart attack on a plate, okay, is what, no. This is, if you how many of you have been to Maple Street down on campus? Yes, the rest of you should repent, okay, and go immediately. Basically, it's Smoky Mountains meet hipster, okay, is what it is. And so they, they, they roast their own coffee. They have stores in Jacksonville, but it's a third place. You go there any time of the day. People are studying. They're drinking coffee. They're eating biscuits with copious amounts of shiitake, mushroom gravy. You know what I'm saying? All right, and it is, it is goodness, okay? We've been, develop- this is, we've been developing a partnership and friendship with these guys for many months now. And one, we just love their food. But two, we love their hearts. They're from Jacksonville. They're, they're, they're elders and spiritual leaders in their church. And they love to do stuff like that. It's like, why, why would somebody want to come to, let's be honest, a B-grade facility and like set up shop? Because they want to be in the mix. They want to do what we want to do. But from a business angle, employ people and be a service to the community and serve really awesome biscuits, okay? So really pray for that, guys. We're, that is something that is not just imminent. We have that document in hand, right, Josh? Okay, good. All right. Make that happen. All right, anyway, that's ha- okay. Three, th- three long-term things and we're done, okay? This is on big picture. And, the, and these, these are really the heart of what we talked about at our elders' retreat last weekend. Because we... We we are commanded to take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And we feel like we do a lot for Jerusalem and a lot for the ends of the earth, our gospel partners and our own church. But what about our little Judea? Judea, You know, what's this surrounding greater Leon County, Tallahassee area? You know, Samaria, we've kind of been putting some stakes in the ground with our Sojourn Network partnership and, and supporting church planners. But what about our, our Judea here? Because a number of years ago, the elders said, we want to be one church in many locations. We want to be under one rubric, rubric but establish gospel communities. And guys, we, we want to do that because that's how you reach the non-church, non-Christians. New churches, new campuses, new fellowship groups, new whatever are much, much better at assimilating and reaching new people than existing churches are. And so we launched the Midtown campus, and by God's grace, that campus is almost 400 people, and we are figuring out what are we going to do, okay? What are we doing? Okay, we don't know. I mean, seriously, it's that, it's that kind of problem. In fact, that's going to be, that's one of the things the elders talked about, okay? What do we do? 
how, how are we going to resource and, and steward the resources of that campus to continue to be on mission? That was one thing we talked about. The second thing, where does God want us to go next? Easy to hang on the banks of the Jordan. But knowing that new churches are better at reaching non-Christians than, than, than established churches, God continue to give us a vision for, for Leon County and the greater North Florida area. What, what's, what's it going to be like, God, to go start a third campus? Okay? And, and just feeling those stirrings from the Lord of east or southeast, there's a couple of reasons why those might be strategic windows for us in the next couple of years. One is, that's where people are. Okay? That's where population growth is happening. Number two, do you realize there's not a lot of gospel witness in those sections of the city? Okay? There's comparative to Killarn, where you can throw a rock and hit a church, right? That's, that's not the case in the east and southeast. And thirdly, we think that God has positioned our Midtown campus to really be the locus and the focus of that sending effort. We want to be, over the next couple of years, cultivating a core group to go out from that campus because of its proximity, because of its youth and energy, to do that. It doesn't mean that God might not call some of you to strategically be involved in leadership and other things, but the impetus for that campus comes from Midtown, although it's our, all of us to, to own. It's like, why would we do that? <laughs> Isn't it just easier, Pastor Paul, just to hang right here? Yes, totally easier, okay? But what is, what is easiest is most often not right and not the best, and so we are prayerfully considering where God would lead us. Okay, third thing, put on your radar. The elders are praying, okay, this is, this is pastor speak, and then I'll interpret it. Ready? That God would joyfully free us from obligations to our banker. Okay, what is that code for? Pay down the debt, right? Okay, nothing, nothing like paying down the debt that gets, gets the people juiced and energized, okay? It's not about paying down the debt, because we're not debt Nazis, Okay, we're, not, we're not in that camp. Um, there was good reasons to, to borrow the money to purchase this building when we did. We felt it's given us a leverage point. We would do the same thing again. It's an asset. It's a resource. Yet, we know that over the long term, we want to be a better steward of God's resources. We want to, to pay down the liabilities on this building so that we can invest those monies in another campus or church planters, or staff, or gospel partners, or a hundred things that we would love to do. Now, I've got to confess this, that when I think about doing another generosity initiative, okay, what is that code for? The capital campaign, okay? I just, I, God, I'd rather stay on the banks of the Jordan, okay? This is not anything that would happen this year. This is probably 2017, some point. I don't want to go there. And I have to tell you that because I cannot call you to something that I am not personally leveraged in. I cannot call you to give sacrificially above and beyond what you're doing or to leverage your giving and give sacrificially. Remember, the mission never goes forward without sacrifice. I can't do that in good conscience unless I'm doing that with you. And I know that to go there is going to just be all kind of problems, okay? It's going to reveal my heart. 
It's, it's going to be, what am I giving up? It's going to be, what, what is, how's God calling us to be sacrificial? What are the claims this makes upon Susan and I? And I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm not there yet. Okay? And I'm not going to call you to go there yet until I'm on the way there. Okay? But I say this as a means of accountability. I want us to all go there, and I want to be leading you in it. Which is why I think God providentially is sowing the seeds now. Let me say this and we're done. Because we're about to renew our 2 Corinthians series next week, and in a couple weeks we're into 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And for all of you Bible scholars, what is, what is the subject of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9? Money, right? Okay. And we're going to learn all about joyful sacrifice. Not just financial, but what does it mean to leverage our service, our leadership, our time, our gifting, and our money? As here's what I'm praying that God does in our hearts this coming season at Four Oaks. I pray that if you are not all in, you will get all in. And, and I don't mean just financially. I mean your heart. That this is your home. This is where you're putting down the roots. Some of you have been like lingering on the edge and testing the waters. And I don't know if I want to become a member and all that. Okay. You, all in. And if you can't be all in here, we want to find a place where you can be all in. Because we think that honors God when we leverage our lives to a people, to a people. And 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are going to push us that way. And Paul does it in a way that says, as we do that, it's not, it's not, we, we're not giving up. We're getting eternal joy. Pray with me on that, Four Oaks. We think God is working. God is moving. And as we're on the banks of the Jordan, pray he would show us when it's time to cross and where to go when we do. But the most important thing he wants to do is in your heart, and it's in my heart. So let's pray that he does it.